Welcome to New Life Miami, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nlmiami.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Hey, can you join me in prayer? Let's pray real quick. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this word that we're about to get into, dive into. Speak to us, Lord. We know that uh, you want to share something to us. And we thank you for the rain outside. Crazy, because I did not know it was going to rain today. And Lord, we thank you for the rain that's happening inside each soul here today. I pray that you be glorified through your word and that you do miracles in this place. It's in Jesus' name. Together we say... Amen, amen, amen. I want to start off with, um, with a verse, and it's Psalm uh, chapter 63, Psalm 63. And I'm just going to read verse 1 for a moment, and I'm going to share with you as I introduce today's message. I want to share with you a little bit about David, King David at this time. In Psalm 63 verse 1, he, he writes this psalm, and and the whole psalm is awesome, but I, I, I want to just focus on this first verse for a moment. And, and look what he says. He says, oh God, you are my God, and with deepest longing I will seek you. This is the amplified, because I love this part in the amplified part. It says, it says my soul, but look how the amplified Bible breaks it down. He says, my soul, my life, my very self thirst for you. My flesh longs and sighs for you. But, but, but this is the very important part of this verse. He's, he's, he's like seeking and he's thirsty for the Lord. But the next part of this verse is very important because he is in a what? He's in a dry land. He says, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. See, we look at Psalm 63, verse 1, and David is in a time of his life that his very own son is out to kill him. Just picture that for a moment. How do you think that feels? His very own son is out to destroy him and to kill him, to take his throne. And, and as, he's, as he's going through all these feelings and as he knows that his son and his son's army is out to kill him. He, he runs to the desert, and as he runs to the desert, he goes to hide himself. And in this verse, as he's hiding himself in the desert, we see that there is a cry in his soul. This psalm, is, it's an amazing psalm because you see that David is longing, and he's longing to be back. If you read all of it, we don't have, for the sake of time, the time to read all through it. But if you read through Psalm 63, you'll see that, that David longs to be back in the house of God. And the reason why David longs to be back in the house of God is to praise him in his house. To praise him there. And David is in constant cry here in his soul. His flesh, his whole being is in desperate need, as we read in verse 1, for the waters of God. He's in a dry place. So he comes to a moment of his life in this, in this time of just desperation where he has driven himself to what is called the Judean wilderness. I don't have pictures to show you the Judean wilderness right now, but it is a very, very dry place. As a matter of fact, if you have time today, Google it and Google Judean uh, wilderness, Judean desert, and, and you'll see there, there's not a sight of water anywhere around it. I mean, it's dry. If, if I were to tell you what color are you thinking of right now, what color are you thinking of? Yeah, brown, and it's there? Man, there are. Hey, give them a hand back there. Because I didn't give that to them, and they went ahead and they found it. But, but, but that's a dry place. That's a weary place. And that's where David runs to. He's running from his son. And uh, not the best place to run to if you want to survive. Maybe David didn't want to survive in a sense. Maybe the part of him wanted to be like just, I wish my life would just end. I wonder if many of us have been there. But, but he was just in a, in a dry and desert place. There, there are beautiful pictures there of the, of the Judean wilderness there. This wilderness, he's there physically, but as he's there physically and he's writing Psalm 63.1, I want you to catch this. This was a representation of a place in which he was in spiritually as well. 
He was in a dry place physically, but you better believe as he's writing these words down and he's thirsting and, and he's longing for the waters of God, you see that it's not just necessarily about the physical dryness in which he's at, but David is also confessing that spiritually there's dryness in his life. So there's a lot of representation in him being sent to the desert because that's exactly, if it was up there again, that's exactly how his soul felt. That's exactly how his heart felt. Maybe we could even say that's exactly how his mind felt. It's just dry. There's just nothing there. And he was in a dry place. He was desperate. He was longing. Both his flesh and his soul was hurting and was in distress. Imagine the dryness. Imagine the dryness of death on your lips in the core of your being. Just imagine that for a moment. And all you want is a drip of water to satisfy you just a little. If I could just take a drip of water, but all that you could say, all that you can utter out of your mouth is what David says, and it's this. I'm in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's all he could say in the midst of his dryness. Just, just picture that and Imagine yourself, because you see, this is what's happening here as I introduce this. As I'm introducing this, some of you might be moving in your seat to say, that's exactly where I'm at. That's exactly what I feel. That's exactly what's going on in me and with me. Or you might be like, that's exactly what's happening to my best friend. <laughs> that's exactly what's happening to my spouse. That's exactly what's happening to my child. That's exactly what's happening to, and, and, and you could all maybe relate to that. And we get into this, and, and David is at this weary place. But you know, in, in, later on, in another psalm, he writes something that for me, it's, it's, it's just beautiful. He, I'll, I'll just read it to you. It's found in chapter 107, the same book of Psalm. And I'm going to read verses 33, 34, and 35. Look what David says now. You with me? He says this. He changes rivers into deserts and springs of water into dry, thirsty land. 34, he turns the fruitful land into salty wastelands. David knows what that's like because of the wickedness of those who live there. But look at 35. But he also, everyone say he also. Yes. Yeah. He also turns deserts into pools of water and dry land into springs of water. See that? So, we read Psalm 107, 33 to 35. So which one is it? Is it the desert or is it the water? Who's God? Here's my answer. It's the same God. It's the same God. This, the same God. And I'm going to have you repeat that a couple of times today. So you can just start with me. Ready? The same God. Yeah. Look at the person next to you. Give them, I don't know, a little shake, a little rattle, a little tickle or something like that. And say, it's the same God. Yeah, because, because this is what's happening here today. Listen, listen, you might relate to this story. You might relate to this passage. You might relate to this message. And you might be like, that's me, that's me. But I'm going to tell you that if you are in the desert, it's the same God that could take you out of that desert. I'm telling you right now that it's the same God. It's the same God. See, God alone is able through his sovereignty and through his judgment to take rivers and springs of waters and fruitful lands and turn them into wastelands, turn them into deserts, turn them into what is called thirsty land. God is the only one sovereign and with his judgment able to do that. Only God can. Only God can. And when you read verses 33 and when you read verses 34, it's because of the wickedness of those who lived in that land. You see, God is able to do that. But as God does that, it's due to the wickedness of man that occupies that land. Because of the sin of the people in there. So, so then David says, yeah, but he also turns those deserts into pools of water. And he also turns dry lands into springs of water. You see, David has authority to say this kind of stuff. You've ever been with someone and, and you just look at them and say, you don't have authority to say that. But then you've been around someone that's been through something that they could testify and say a story about that something. And you listen to them because you know they have authority in what they're talking about because they're in it. They're living it or they've lived it. They have authority. So, so David writes this and he has authority to write about what he's about to write, to say what he's about to say. And David says there's dryness, there's this, but, but he also 
turns. He, he went through it. He could say it. He knew what it was like to be in a dry place, both physically and spiritually. He knew the dry place well. I wonder if any of you here know the dry place well. Because we live in Miami, we could jump into our neighbor's pool. You could drive 20 minutes, some of you just five minutes, and you could jump into the beach. But, but, but I, don't, I think you get that I'm not really talking about that today. He knew this place well. He knew that, that it was the same God that led him to the dry place because of, because of his own sin and wickedness. You see, you got to understand that David had his own sin and his own wickedness. And because of that, God told him, oh man, from your seed, you're going to have problems. And Absalom became his problem. And through his problem, it took him to a desert. So I want you to know that it was because of David's sin and his wickedness that he was led there. But, but David came to a point of his life where he writes, but it's the same God. I might, I might be in a desert. I might be dealing with the consequences of my wickedness and my sin. But he understood this, that it's the same God, though, that does turn these deserts into pools and waters into dry lands. And he says that some, sometime later in Psalm 107. You see, the, the God, the God that is found in the desert and in the dry place, it is the same God of the pools and of the springs of water. It's the same God. And, and, and today, why am, I, why am I chewing on this so much? The reason is because I want you to know this, that you didn't by accident get to where you're at. But I will tell you that it's the same God that can snatch you from where you're at to take you to where he wants to take you. I'm telling you that in your desert, there is a pool that could start getting formed. That there's waters that could start flooding in. Like, where did this water come from? Because there's not one body of water. But we're going to get to a place real soon that, that, that maybe the desert doesn't need a connection of water for the water to flow into it. Because sometimes all you do is you need to just look up because there might be a cloud that is coming that might give you the water that you need to make the pool that you long for. To make the river that you're crying for. You see, God remains the same. He's the same God. One more time. The same God. But his experiences and the experiences in him are different. They're different. You see, if you study the life of David, you will see that his whole life doesn't fall in perfect order to the outside observer. If you study the life of David, you'll be like, he's known as a man after God's own heart, yeah? Yes. But man, did his life sometimes definitely not show that. See, if you really look at David's life and study his life, it, it, might, it doesn't look like it's all in perfect order because he went through some wars. If you've never studied the life of David, like if wars is not enough, he had many attempts on him to be assassinated. He had many hardships that he went through. But the confusion and yet the beauty of life is that the Lord completes us and makes us whole through the cross and through his death and resurrection. But the circumstances and problems around us may not change, but the heart and the soul and the mind... That's what God is going to change. So, so when you look at the life of David as an observer, you're like, man, his life didn't look like it was all in too much order physically. But when you really look at his words and you really look at his actions and you really look at what he wrote to his son and spoke to his son on his last days, you'll see that something happened to his mind. Something happened to his heart. Something happened to his soul because, hey, David, maybe I didn't change the things around you, but I sure did change the things inside of you. And that's what David was experiencing. That's what he went through at the end of his life. We sang this song, We Receive Your Reign. And, and, and maybe later on I'll just read you the lyrics again when we close. And we could claim that we receive your reign. But, but I want you now to listen as I get ready to get into the message. Here it is. In order for the barren and for dry land around us to receive rain and to be fruitful, it first needs to be experienced with the inhabitants of that land. Just let that settle for a moment. We receive your rain. And we pray for crazy. Hey, you, 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 you prayer warriors. You pray for revival. You pray for rain. Revival in the land and rain in the land. But, but if you study scripture well and you look at the way God works and you see this correctly, it first needs to be experienced with the ones who, who occupy that land. It's all over scripture. It's all over scripture. 
So, so is there a thirst? Is there a longing? Are we searching for the clouds that hold rain? Are we looking where is there a cloud that's going to rain today? Can I get under a certain cloud? Because, because we could pray for our families and we could pray for our workplaces and we could pray for our homes. We could pray for our cities. We can pray for the land that whatever it means to you, whatever your land is that's dry, barren, and weary. We could pray for all those things. We could pray for that, but are we personally experiencing the reign of God in our lives? We could invest billions of dollars. Everyone say billions because that's a lot of money. Yeah, billions of dollars to make a land richer and more fruitful. We could focus on the, on the agriculture, etc. We could really pour billions of dollars upon that land. But do you know that if you go back a few years later after pouring billions of dollars into that land, into the agriculture, into the waters of that land, it'll be a waste of a billion dollars. It'll become dry again. It'll become unfruitful again. I'm going to tell you why. Because it's not the land that needs investment. It's the man that lives in that land that needs the investment. So, so we start campaigns up and we're going to be like, hey, we're going to go and we're going to plant this over there on that well. No, what you do not need to do is waste money on planting things. And what you need to do is plant life in the soul of the people that live there. And you'll see that if they become rich, the land around them will become rich. Hey, listen, things in your life didn't just crumble because everything around you sucked. Maybe it's because things inside of me were rotten and things inside of me were dry and weary. And because I occupy that land, I, this weary, dry person, caused everything around me to also be weary and dry. Maybe it's not the land's fault. Maybe it's just the man's fault. David says it because of the wickedness of those who live in that land. It says it in scripture. See, I think about Jesus on the cross and I think about John 3.16, the most famous verse. And Jesus didn't die for the land. You'll never be able to find your scripture where Jesus died for the land. He did not die for the land. He died for the people in the land. In order that they will be saved. Not in order for the land to be saved. I'll prove that in a moment. Because actually, scripture shows us that, that this land will eventually burn up and it will be destroyed. All heaven and all earth will perish, the Bible says. What kind of salvation over the land is that if it's going to perish? All heaven and all earth will, will perish, but it's the people that live in it that will receive eternal life if they come to know Jesus. You see, his investment was on man. It was never on the land. See, we live in a world that invests on land, right? You, you want to be well off. You want to take care of your family. You want the future. You want stuff for your children, so you have to invest on land. You got to get a house, a house on a nice property. You got to build a house, and hopefully it grows up. And, and you live in the stresses of, I got to invest in the land, and you got to invest in the land. And that is the world culture that has been built around us. But you know that that's not the kingdom mentality. That's not kingdom principles, and that's not kingdom truth. Because it was never about investing in the land. It was always about investing in man. Amen. Always, all over scripture. Yeah. All over. David says, he turns the fruitful land into salty wastelands because. So there was a reason why what was wet became dry. There was a reason why where there were pools that became desert. Because. There's a reason why this thing failed in my life. Yeah, because. There's a reason why my spouse, because. There's a reason why I got laid off, because. There's a re I mean, not everyone. I mean, there's some stories that, you know, they cut back. Some, I mean, I'm not picking on anyone today. But sometimes when, when there is a constant norm, like this always happens to me. Maybe it's because. Maybe it's just because. But because what? He says, because of the wickedness of those who live in that land. See, people are not affected because of the land's inability, inability to be fruitful. I believe this, it's the land that is affected by the people's inability to be fruitful. It's that. In team night tonight, I'm going to go deeper in this, in just this one thing right here. So don't miss kind of like part two of my message. It's going to be in team night. But, but think about that for a moment. People, we're not affected because of the land's inability to be fruitful. The land is affected because of our man's inability to be fruitful. Hosea 4.6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Right. 
So because I lack knowledge in, in being fruitful and, and causing the land around me being fruitful, then, then, then that's what Hosea and, and the Lord even says to Hosea. So here it is, that if I want my land to be fruitful, if I want it to live again, then I got to get under the cloud and I got to live in God's reigns because he's not going to necessarily water my land or our land first. He wants to shower you first and then give you the responsibility to then water the land in which you're complaining about, praying about, or living in. Why will would a, uh, why else would Paul write in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 6, I planted, Apollos watered, and God brought the growth. Did you guys see that? Because he understood that the cultivation of the, of, the, of the land was man's responsibility because of the knowledge and the presence of the Lord in him. He said this. He said, I'm the one that planted. He's the one that watered. But God is the one that brought the growth. He could have stayed home and said, thank you for saving me because I was a lost Pharisee ready to go to hell. But you saved me. And because you saved me and transformed my life, now I have a what? A responsibility. And he writes in 1 Corinthians, I planted. My other boy, he watered. God he brings the growth. What is that teaching us? There's a responsibility when rain falls in the heart of the believer. You received waters. Awesome. Good. Water the land you live in now. But Lord, I want you to do the miracle. I am. In you. Lord, bring revival. I don't think you're seeing this right. I am. But you're not understanding this. You see, Paul wasn't praying, oh Lord, bring revival to the places he went to visit and plant churches and win souls and snakes bite him. He shakes it off into the fire and everyone bows down and says, you're a God. He says, I'm not a God. Stand up for I come in the name of the true and living God, the one that was crucified. His name is Jesus. Then the whole island gets saved. I mean, Paul did some crazy things in his life. Paul went to one city and he goes to preach the gospel. You better stop preaching the gospel. I'm not going to stop preaching the gospel. They grab a bunch of rocks. They stone him. He falls on the floor. He's left for dead. They grab him from his feet. They drag him outside of the city. They close the city gates and he's outside dead. It says the spirit of God breathed upon Paul. And Paul resurrects again from the ground. And he goes to the next city and he begins to preach again. I'm telling you that Paul just didn't stay home with what he was watered with. You see, Paul understood God did something in me. Come on, say that to yourself today. God did something in me. And if God did something in me, then I got to do something with it. I got to do something with it. So he wasn't praying, oh, Lord, bring revival to those places. See, because if you study correctly, when Paul walked into those places, in those regions, in those cities, he was revival in those places. Paul wasn't like, I'm going to Philippi. Let's have a revival meeting and a revival prayer for Philippi. No, Paul went to Philippi and revival happened because Paul was revival. That's how it functioned with the disciples. That's how it functioned with the apostles. He wasn't necessarily praying for revival. I want you to get this into your mind. When you really study what Paul's life was, he wasn't praying for revival because Paul was the revival. And I'm learning that we don't have to pray and we shouldn't pray, well, Lord, bring revival to blank land. Bring revival to the schools. Bring revival to my job. Bring revival to my family. Lord, bring revival to my children. Lord, bring revival to our church. Lord, bring revival for him, for her, for them, for us, for me. Lord, bring revival. We don't look at him and give the excuse, oh, God, I'm waiting for revival because we might not like his response. He might look just right back into our eyes and say, so am I. What are you waiting for? Go be the revival I've called you to be. I'm learning that. I'm learning that. That. For so many years, the church has been praying for revival. But if the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead, which we learned last week in an Easter, is in us, then that means revival's in us. So if we're praying, Lord, bring revival to the land, God says, then go and walk into the land. And you'll see that things will become alive again. Deserts will become water again. The dead will rise again. But you got to be the revival. But no, bring it instead. I am. It's in you. Go and walk in. Every charge to the disciples, every charge to the early church was, oh, go. Go what? Be the revival. Go what? Be the water. Go and do this. He'll look at us and say, me too, man. I'm waiting for it. Come on, go. You see, revival is not God pouring his rain on the land. We've always looked at it wrong. It's God pouring his rain in you. But what do you do now? Now you water the land because Paul said, I planted. He watered. 
God brought the growth. So, so revi- you should write that, right? Revival is, is not God watering the land. Revival is God watering you. Because now, I got to do what Paul says. I plant, I water. But he brings, he brings the growth. In Acts chapter 2, this is good, when the Holy Spirit would, would rain down and dwell in his people for the first time in what is called the day of Pentecost. 120 people in one place meeting together. What a beautiful sight that was. Verse 2 and 4 says that the Holy Spirit filled the house that they were sitting in and they filled each one that was present in that house. Hmm. But, but you know what's beautiful? There's 120 people in a, in a building maybe like this and they're praying and the Holy Spirit fills them. The waters, the, uh, maybe I could just say this, the cloud sat over them. And it began to rain on 120 people. But, but the greatness of this is it doesn't end with them just being showered. That's not the way God works. Do you know that today God wants to pour into your life? But watch. The way God works is he just doesn't want to stop there. So amen. God wants to pour into your life. Amen. But you better believe that there's something else that God wants for your life. Because later on in verse 43 in the same chapter 2 of Acts, it says that a deep sense of awe came over all of them and all the apostles performed many miracle signs and wonders. You see, when I I read verses 2 and 4, the Holy Spirit rains on them and falls upon them. But then verse 43 says, a deep sense of awe, of honor, of respect, of awe came over them. And the apostles began to perform miraculous signs and wonders. It seems like there became, like them right there, these men became revival. And they began to plant and water in others. Because the result of such actions, I want you to know this, it brought forth fruit. Where did it bring forth fruit? It brought fruit in the land. Let me explain to you. Maybe I've lost you for a moment. Verse 2 and 4. The Holy Spirit falls. The waters of God fall upon them. It rains. Someone say it rains. Yeah. We go down a couple verses to verse 43. And guess what happens now? Everyone's in awe. What do they start to do? Miracles. Signs. And wonders. That's crazy. That's a big jump from just receiving rain. They went from receiving waters to casting out demons. From receiving waters to healing the sick. I mean, if you really want to keep reading, they went from receiving water to, hey, 3,000 of you, come and follow me. We're going to baptize 3,000 of you because 3,000 get saved that day. Like, that's some crazy stuff. So it didn't just stop with God pouring water in their lives, with God pouring the Holy Spirit in their lives. 43 says that they were filled with reverence and now signs and wonders followed them. They became revival. They planted. They began to water. They became revival in Jerusalem. You know what verse 47 says? Here it is. Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's, like, really think about that for a moment and put that in your mind. It rained in their lives. They begin to do signs and wonders. And a couple verses later, they're beginning to grow. What does that sound like? It sounds like rain. It sounds like change. And then it sounds like fruit. Rain came, change came, and they began to see the fruit. Many were added to the church. And that sounds fruitful to me because it all started with a group of people that received his reign and began to perform many miracle signs and wonders. You know that the prophet Joel, some 800 years before Christ, he writes about the days of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. Turn to Joel chapter 2. It's a popular verse, but maybe you've never read it. Turn there for a moment. Maybe you could underline it, write it out. It'll come up on the screen as well. But some 800 years before Christ, he writes about the days of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon man and also about the events of Christ's return. And look what Joel says in chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. It says this, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. And in those days I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. You see... You read Joel some 800 years before, 
And as he's writing this down, he's saying, there's going to be a rain, there's going to be a storm that's going to hit man. And when this rain hits and when this water begins to fall upon man, notice his writing. It's for all people groups. It's for sons, it's for daughters, it's for the old, it's for the young, it's for servants, not even just for the masters, it's for servants too. And look what he says, because that whole thing about men and women and all that, it's for men and women. Like the debate is over. The Holy Spirit and what might reigns and I'm going to fall upon people, it's for everyone and anyone that could just come under the cloud and receive it. So, so Joel talks about that. Joe, 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 rep, Joe brings that up some 800 years before. And then we go to Acts 2 and we're like, this is exactly what Joe was talking about. Rain that, that falls upon the people. But now I want to really get into and wrap, to wrap everything that I'm talking to you about and, and put it all into a piece to, to make a picture, this puzzle into a picture. And I want to turn to 1 Kings 17 and 18 to relate everything with this story. Elijah is the prophet of God during this time of Israel. And Israel is in a lot of sin. Israel is in constant wickedness. King after king, they do not follow the ways of the Lord. And at this time, Ahab and Jezebel, one of the most evilest couples in the world, are reigning in Israel. They're so wicked, they're so evil, that God gives Elijah a word. And he says, go speak to the king and go tell him that out of your mouth, you're going to be able to stop the rain and bring the rain. So in chapter 17, verse 1, it says, and Elijah said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain these years except of my word. At my word is the only time when it will rain. So if you, if you look into this, it was about three and a half years that... It did not rain in Israel. Think about the farmer's life. Think about the thirsty children. Think about the older folk that really need a drink of water. Think about just humanity, that the need of water in their land. Here's Israel for a drought for three and a half years. They're in a desperate place. They're in a dry place. Just as David described in the beginning of the message. They're in a desert. They're in a thirsty land. Israel. A place which was supposed to be a, remember, remember what God told Moses? It's going to be a place that flows, what? Milk and honey. Well, what happened? It's a desert now. It's a place where the trees will be ripe, filled with figs. Oh, I don't see no figs growing now because there's no water. The trees are dying. The people are dying. Can you imagine the sickness that's spreading throughout Israel? Can you imagine the frustration? Can you imagine the complaints that Ahab is getting on his judgment seat as a king? Just think about three and a half years if it doesn't rain in our city. What that will do. Just think about that. Lake Okeechobee dries up. The government from many other places are going to have to bring in. We're seeing it in, 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 in Michigan now. People are taking water bottles to, because people are getting sick and dying. Water is important. Imagine all that. The death, the trouble of having no rain. The shortage of water. The, the price to get water. Think about all that. And it was Ahab and it was Jezebel. It was all of Israel. It was their fault. You see, we could easily go blaming God. But Elijah constantly warned them. This is going to happen if you don't act. If you don't shape up, if you don't get it together, uh, there's going to be a drought and they wouldn't get it together. They continued to worship Baal. They continued to worship Asherah. They had 850 false prophets that would present themselves before King Ahab and tell him everything that he wanted to hear. hear. But one man said, they're wrong. It's wrong. Their gods are wrong. There's only one true living God. It's, it's Jehovah. You need to repent. You need to break down those altars. You need to come back. I'm telling you. And he warned them and he warned them and he warned them. He says, because of man's sin, the land is going to struggle. And they wouldn't listen to him. They wouldn't receive it. I mean, come on, we pray about our country all the time. But really, is our country a mess? It's not. It's the people in our country that's a mess. Because we live in a beautiful country. Have you seen the sights and the bodies of water? Have you seen some of those places? Our country is bad. 
And I, I mean that as good. But the people inside it have screwed it on up. And we pray God save our country. And he whispers back to our souls, save the people. Revive our world. Revive our land. And he's like, walk into their spaces. They rejected Elijah. And they were perishing. And they were being destroyed for what Hosea says, for their lack of knowledge. And then from some three and a half years later, some, some three years later, Elijah has another talk with God. And I, I'm not going to get into this, but he basically says, hey, Ahab, do me a favor. Let's go up to Mount Carmel, grab all your prophets, tell them to make an altar, and I'm going to make an altar. You guys know that story? Maybe you, most of you know it. And, and put your sacrifice on the altar, and I'll put my sacrifice on the altar. And you go, you and your, all your prophets, your hundreds of prophets, 850 counting Asherah, 450 just counting the prophets of Baal. And, and you do that, you put it on the altar, and you cry out to your God Baal, and we'll see if he answers. And then when you guys are done with your little spectacle, I'm going to go over to my side of the mountain, and then I'm going to put my sacrifice on that altar, and then I'm going to cry out to my God. And this is what we'll do. Ready? So we can stop going back and forth and stop beefing and stop fighting, and we can stop texting each other all these mean things. And I get it. When I'm around you, you're always giving me that weird eye. And I get it. You're talking to people around, around you about me, and I'm hearing it from my house. I get that me and you are no longer doing well. So this is what we're going to do to solve the problem. Ready? When we call out on our God, the one that rains down with fire, he will be the one and true living God. All right. So Ahab being so prideful, so ignorant, so f he has so much knowledge in some things, but in the things that he really needed to be knowledgeable about, he was so stupid. In him. For the lack of knowledge, people perish. You know, because of Ahab agreeing to those terms, Ahab is responsible for the, for the killing of all those false prophets. You're dumb. You should have never agreed to Elijah. But Ahab is so prideful and so ignorant that he said, we got 850, 450 of the prophets of Baal, 850 on my side. This guy's just one. For sure, he's not going to win. I'm down. I'll do it. Let's sign the papers. Well, you know the rest of the story. Elijah's God, our God, answers. The other false prophets, they cut their wrist. They begin to sprinkle blood as it was custom in their day. Come on, Baal. Answer our sacrifice. Soak it up in fire and didn't happen so then Elijah's like come on your, your God is probably in the restroom come with me he literally says that and he builds up his altar and he soaks it soaks it soaks it so it's drenched with water and he says alright God this is what we're going to do take up my um, the sacrifice so that everyone in this land can know that you are the true and living God fire fell from heaven soaked up the sacrifice the children of Israel were there because who doesn't like a good fight the Bible says that they all fell down to their faces when they saw that they were worshipping false gods they were worshipping Asherah they were worshipping Baal but when God answered they said oh my, my son loves he loves the trolls and there's a little pet animal that one of the trolls carries and he never talks and there's a point that something crazy happens in the show and he says, oh, snap. My son walks around the house saying, oh, snap. And I could almost see the children of Israel saying, oh, snap. And they bow down. God spares them but kills the prophets of Baal because they go running like cowards. You see, I wonder what would have happened if the prophets of Baal would have bowed down to the worship God. I think God would have saved them. But because they go running like cowards, God says, go run after them and chop off all their heads. What about the children of Israel? They're cool. They bow down. <laughs> That's wild. Whatever, I didn't want to share that. What I want to share is when all that ended, when all of that was done, chapter 18, verse 41, Elijah calls Ahab up again. He says, Ahab, what do you want? You just killed hundreds of my men. Right, I got to talk to you. Look what he says in verse 41. Ready? Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go get something to eat. Go get something to drink. 
sounds like a party to me. Whenever there's food and whenever there's drinks, there's a party. You tell me, hey, come over. I got pizza and a soda. I'm saying, I'm going to go to the party. Go get something to eat. Go get something to drink. For I hear that there's a mighty rainstorm coming. I like this translation better. Elijah looks at Ahab and says, go eat, go drink. For there is a sound of a heavy rain. There's a sound of rain. You see, I don't know if you understand this because for you, who cares? But for Ahab, oh, he cares. Because, because people are dying at home. Because there's no water for three and a half years. Because when he walks back to his palace, everything is dead. The trees are barren. The trees are no green. Are not green. The trees don't have any kind of fruit on them. The waters are dried up. I mean, the waters are now valleys. The waters are now roadways. And, and there's nowhere. But then when Elijah, after that great battle, comes to him and says, Hey, I want you to do something. I want you to go party. And I want you to go celebrate. Because it's time. There's water coming. And I hear, I hear the sound of rain. It's right around the corner how do you think Ahab felt that God was still going to grace him that God was still going to give him another chance I mean I don't have time to get to Ahab and Jezebel but they still didn't bow down and worship and, and repent but, but here's God even in the Old Testament showing grace again Ahab you have a chance to make it right with me you have a chance to turn all of Israel towards me again and, and Elijah tells him he says, he says I hear it there's a sound of heavy rain go celebrate today it rains the dry places will be watered the, the barren will become fruitful the filth will become cleansed let's go have a party it's been dried long enough look at the person next to you and say it's been dried long enough I really meant it though like I meant like look at them and say it's been dried long enough I wonder in here today how many can say enough is enough this dryness is not getting us anywhere I got a woman up I got a man up we got a family up and we just got to make this right enough already enough is enough believe it for yourself put it on me put it on my faith it's cool I'll receive some of the reward I guess but, but put it on me and say if what he's saying is true then I'm going to take a step of faith I don't believe it for me yet but I'll take a step of faith if, if a pastor's saying and I'm done with the dryness in my life enough is enough I want these things to live again I want to celebrate again because come on be honest with me when was the last time you celebrated? When was the last time you, you did throw a party? When was the last time you ate and you drank because the rains of God? When was the last time that, that truly the filth can become cleansed where you can look at God and His presence and say enough is enough? So, so it doesn't end there. Ahab went. He goes to eat. He goes to drink. And Elijah climbs up to the mountain. Again, he loves Mount Carmel been there we're going to be there in 2018 when we go as a team amen you know what'll be cool when we go in 2018 i don't know maybe maybe we can make it happen but we could all do what elijah did he puts his he puts his head between his legs i, I don't think I, I don't know unless he was very flexible he was older but i'll tell you what i think he did i think he did this Then I, I started to, to look at it, I was like, ah, it's not really his, his head between his legs. So then I went, maybe he did this. Yeah, that's better. And he goes up to Mount Carmel. And what happens from this posture is awesome. What happens next? You guys ready to read it? I'm going to end now. You guys ready to read it? It says this. So he went up to Mount Carmel. Maybe we'll do that on Mount Carmel this 
upcoming year, 2018, and he bowed to the ground and he prayed with his face between his, between his knees. It sounds like he was kneeling down there. And he said to his servant, go and look toward the sea. And the servant went and he looked. And he returned to Elijah and he said, I don't see anything. And seven times Elijah told him to go and look. You know, I'm, I'm wondering if today if I could play Elijah in your life. I'm wondering if, I, if you give me that permission to do that today. Because maybe, maybe you don't have the faith. Maybe you don't have the faith. But, but I'll tell you, come, my servant, come, 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 come. Come. And he says, go check for me. Go check for me. And, and he goes, and goes, and goes. And then he comes back, and he comes back to me. Yeah, we're going to work out. And he says, mind you, my, help me out today, ready? Go check for me. If you see anything out in the seas, it comes back to me. And, and would you say, there's what? There's nothing. Go check again if it's seven times you have to check. You can walk up to the front row and just come right back in. Tell me what you see the second time. Tell me what you see. Nothing. Go check a third time. Four, five, six. Even if it's seven times, go check. Even if it's seven times, because, because maybe for him, he sees nothing. But as I'm sending him out, what he doesn't know is that I'm on my knees. And my hands are between my knees. And what I'm praying for is what God gave me authority to pray for. And that is by your mouth, you're going to bring rain. And by your mouth, you're going to bring droughts. And I believe God's word. And if I'm going to send you, even if it's up to seven times, go. But right around the corner, there's going to be a cloud that you're going to see. And it's going to come up from that sea. And when you see that cloud, you come back and you tell me what you see. Can you go to that verse? So ready? Go the seven times. Go look up at the stream. And I want you to get loud, Mike. Tell me what you see when you come back on that seventh time. What'd you just say? A cloud is on its way. And it looks like the fist of a man. I wonder if it looked like God's fist. I wonder if God just swung a little bit. And he said, well, I'm going to show them my fist. I'm going to show them my hand. I'm going to show them that I'm on the way. If they could just look ahead, if they could just look forward, I got a cloud that it's on the way. And if you open up your ears, you'll hear that there's a sound of heavy rain that's about to soak up your dry and barren land. Come on. What do you see, church? What do you see? What do you see? What do you see? Go again. What's wrong with you guys? Go again. Go again. Go again. Go again. Go again. Go again. What did you see? What did you see? You guys are dying. What did you see? There's a cloud. There's a jump up. There's a cloud. Get someone five. Shake someone. Shake him. Shake him. Shake him. Shake her. Shake her. Shake her. Shake her. Shake them. Shake them. Shake them. Shake them. Someone go up there. Shake Jose. Shake them. Shake them. Shake them. Shake them. Go shake them. Shake them. There's a cloud. There's rain. There's rain. There's rain. It's coming. We receive your rain. We receive your rain. Dry and thirsty land.
if you need to come up to the altar and you want to get on your knees, start doing that. We'll just get around you and we'll start praying with you and for you. But scripture says, and leaders, you see some people come, some of the leaders just come and start praying for them. But the Bible says that there was a cloud and it was coming for the first time in three years. The excitement, the anticipation, was uncontainable. It was coming finally, the water, to water the places, to shower the places that had been destroyed. It's coming. And this, oh man, I feel this in my, in my spirit. The same God, the same God was, was turning deserts into pools again in Israel. Was turning dry lands into springs of water because it's enough in our lives. The dryness, the barrenness, the bitterness, the filth, the condemnation that I constantly pour on myself, it's enough in my life. And today I push you with, do you have the strength to go seven more times? Five more times, go up to number seven because he wants to pour out his Holy Spirit on you. Why? Why does he want to pour out his Holy Spirit? Because Joel chapter 2 says, so that you can prophesy. Listen church, so that you can have a dream again. Hey, you stop dreaming. You stop dreaming. You were never called to stop dreaming. The children of God are dreamers. You, who said you were supposed to stop dreaming? If you stop dreaming, get up on this altar. We're going to pray for you. And we're going to believe you're going to dream again. Because the spirit of God falls upon you. And causes them to dream again, Joel says. Like if dreaming is not enough, watch this. So that they can have vision. So that they can have vision. What happened to your vision? If you're a child of God. You're supposed to have vision. And the Holy Spirit falls so that there could be vision again in you. Who needs to dream again? Who needs to have vision again? Hey, hey, how about if we say this today? And then maybe if I say this, maybe you'll feel that God's calling you to get prayer. But ready? Stop praying for the Lord to do a miracle. And get under the cloud and become the miracle right now. I'm going to become this. I want the land that I occupy to live again. So then let the Holy Spirit of God shower you and live out the responsibility which is to plant, which is to water, and which is to watch God bring. All we're doing right now is planting and watering, planting and watering, planting and watering. That's all we're doing right now. But I promise you this, with some faithful planting and watering, God is going to bring growth. I'm going to share something tonight in team night. And I'm telling you, man, just, just continue. Continue with the routine. Continue with the routine. Continue with the routine of getting under the cloud. Because I promise you that if you continue with routine, routine will always create a positive result. Get under his presence. Get under his cloud. I'm going to ask you one more time. Do you hear the sound of rain? Do you hear the sound of rain? Isaiah 45 says, Rain down, you heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open. Let them bring forth salvation. And let righteousness spring up together. For I, the Lord, have created it. We receive your rain. We receive your rain. If you receive prayer, you're... You're more than welcome to, to go back to your seat. But if you need to continue to be prayed for, to stay there, someone will pray for you. But let's go right back into this. And if that's you today, you're like, I can hear. I can hear the sound of heavy rain. Begin to worship him. Begin to confess it. Begin to say it. I receive your rain. If you need prayer, get prayer today. We'll pray with you. The promise of God. Everything 